Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. Malcolm! I hate the way you talk to me and the way you cut your hair. I'm down. I've got the 411. And you are not going out and getting jiggy with some boy. I don't care how dope his ride is. Daddy, that's so unfair. New rule. Bianca can date when she does. I hate the way you drive my car. I hate it when you stare. That's Cat Stratford. I want you to go out with him. You're gonna pay me to take out some chick. We set this whole thing up so Cameron can get the girl. Joey's just a pawn. So you two are gonna help me tame the wild beast. I hate your big dumb combat boots and the way you read my mind. I hate you so much it makes me simp. It even makes me run. Those damn Dawson's River kids sleeping in each other's beds and whatnot. I mean, I know everyone digs your sister, but um, she's without. I hate the way you're always right. I hate it when you lie. I guess I thought I was protecting you. By not letting me experience anything for myself? Not all experiences are good, Bianca. I hate it when you make me laugh. Even worse, when you make me cry. Just because you're beautiful, that doesn't mean that you can treat people like they don't matter. I hate it when you're not around and the fact that you didn't call. But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. This is going to be another one where I, I just admit up front that I've listened to uh, 10 Things I Hate About You probably over 100 times back from my video store days, being a PG-13 uh, semi, I guess, new release to uh, VHS at the time. So... Uh, I guess the only thing that was fresh for me on this watch as an old man was uh, the uh, how much of a time capsule it is as far as the clothing style and uh, some of the uh, the musical choices here. Um, starts off with something that really gets on my nerves. I don't know if you feel the same way or if you, maybe you find it charming uh, where they just lead. They open the film with like whatever was like a top 40 hit at the time. But they attempt to flip it here by making uh, Julia Stiles the the cool character who is dismissive of what her peers are listening to. But she rides up in her old car with another classic rock staple. So uh, I think I was a little bit more um, 
not on edge, but I don't know if this one charmed me as much in my old age as it probably did when I was a high school student. And this was, these were my peers. So I'm hoping you're a little more positive on this film, uh, for this recording. Boy, I mean, these are just such old man, uh, criticisms to level at this, uh, uh, teen comedy, uh, here <laughs> and that, Oh, the music choice and all that and blah, blah, the blah. Clothes what looks what so is stupid. this? The clothes. And, you know, um, <laughs> you, you know, I, I think I remember enjoying this a whole lot more than I actually enjoyed it watching it this time. Okay. But so it still has far. worth. It still has worth. It still has value. It has a really good cast. And that's kind of what saves it. Uh, I think you, you, you sense in the screenplay, there's a lot of hesitation and a sort of feeling of, oh, we're not sure if a teen audience is really going to understand all this character stuff that's going on or if that's going to be enough for them. So we need, need to throw in um, the archery teacher getting you know shot with, a, with an arrow or whatever. Um, or a strange bike sequence. Yeah. Uh, an yeah. action sequence down the hill, which I had totally forgotten about and... I was watching it with my wife. She said the same thing. She's like, I did not remember that part. <laughs> I or, don't think that was meant as a positive statement. Or or the Alice and Janney character, which, which is really, you know, dumb and stupid and just thrown in there as sort of a, oh, look at this kooky old person writing about sex kind of thing. Um, a lot of those. Back? Was that, was that not her? really. No. And I know it seems weird because Alice and Janney is such a huge name now. Mm-hmm. But I guess at the time it was even, even at the time, I mean, she is more of a name than some of the other people in this cast, but I, I, you know, I guess, you know, they weren't really thinking of it that way. It was just sort of a, you know, let's poke fun at, isn't it weird that old people could be talking about sex kind of deal. And I don't like, I don't like those broad moments. And I think, like I said, I think there, it feels like they were thrown in there to kind of dumb it down thinking that the teen audience wouldn't care about um, about the good stuff going on. But I think watching it now, I enjoy the the character moments and everything, particularly, um, you know, the stuff going on between Heath Ledger and Julia Stiles. Uh, and I also like Larry Miller a- as the father here. I, I, you know, it's not as bad as I think you're making it out to be. <laughs> it's, uh, it's mostly bad. Uh, I will agree with you on, on one thing which is that the Heath Ledger and Julia Stiles um you know they they definitely cast this well I think one thing that just doesn't age as well and I I this is kind of a cool thing about this podcast is I can I can put myself back in the mindset of being 16 years old when this came out and I remember you know I I really liked Julia Stiles I liked her character and I remember a lot of the girls I went to school with you know they they really took to her they found her to be a a cool uh, screen presence and they they liked that sort of antagonistic attitude that she has uh now it just doesn't work for me anymore i find it tiring <laughs> I, find it, I, I i like it i like it more than the than the elizabeth taylor richard burton uh taming of the shrew uh so i mean i gave that i gave that uh compliment to cruel intentions uh a while back and, and i have to say it kind of holds up here uh, as well, we need to start a '90s teen <laughs> uh, romantic comedy podcast together. Are we going to be the creepy old dudes <laughs> reviewing those films uh, that are not age appropriate anymore? Because you are you are strangely positive to these things, which I like. I, I like that, Ben. Well, I, I appreciate you know good direction and good uh, 
you know, and I, okay, okay. So, I mean, yeah, there's, there's not, oh. it's not all good. It's not all good here, but when it works, you really get the sense that everyone was on the same page. Um, there's that scene between Bianca and, and, uh, and Kat and where, you know, when they're talking about her past and everything, it's not the kind of scene you could imagine happening in the middle of She's All That, which was a movie that was like, like completely, off the rails bad, whereas this is one that was definitely heading in the right direction. It was just that they didn't have the confidence to to say, oh, hey, we got the right cast. Maybe we can get rid of the the stupid, um, you know, broad comedy moments. I felt the watching this, cause, and I thought if she's all that, um, not so much cruel intentions, but definitely, you know, that film also had uh, broad strokes with uh, with Selma Blair's character, that maybe it's TV that's changed because uh, I felt like anytime we got those comedic highlights, uh, you know, or an attempt at a highlight there, that it was something that they felt audiences were being deprived of back in the the nineties. But you know, now, now stuff like that would just be on like YouTube. You know, I, it was interesting to think about how, kids or the demo now would get their sort of comedic fix and i think this is the stuff that really probably would really not work for them either today i think they would wonder why the film is trying so hard and it, i mean it's it's mostly tame as well it, it, the strange thing is the i guess the more adult humor here is only when there are adult characters on screen you brought up alice and Janie. And the uh, the father here, uh, that's Larry Miller. That's that's where most of the you know blue humor comes in. But anytime we're with the the kids, it is strangely, as you mentioned, the the arrow going into someone's butt. It, it's it is something that does not seem like it's age appropriate for a high school audience. Maybe that they're I mean, sort of- I don't. I don't think any of it is like so bad that, you know, parents wouldn't want to take their kids to it. I mean, in comparison, you know, to the to some of the violence in the Matrix, um, you know, why are we so <laughs> forgiving? On. I'm not not to, not to harp on that again, because that's what we ended. That's the note we ended on last time. But why yes. is it that? Oh, yes. a, an arrow comically going into a guy's butt. I don't like it because it's not funny. That's my criticism of it. I, I'm just saying that it seems <laughs> younger than what the actual characters are. Like the characters themselves would not find that funny. So you know, high school students would probably find the adults here funnier than they would. The, the comedic moments with the teens. It, it just it, these things are always sort of a balancing act because the you know that that type of comedy, they're probably looking at more of like a Nickelodeon audience, I guess. Kids who are like looking up to Heath Ledger's like an older figure, Julia Stiles, and I guess they were trying to ride that line. But, it's a delicate uh, balancing act, and yeah. I don't I don't think they create something that's universal like like when shrek came out there was the big talk of it being sort of a a bilingual movie or whatever in that adults and kids could watch it and get you know the same amount of enjoyment from it just from different aspects mm-hmm. i don't think that's what 10 things i hate about you is but i think it's a cut above the rest i also feel like and i don't, I don't know I, i'm guessing you feel similar I, I think that animation tends to get more of a pass in those reviews i'm not just picking on shrek but a lot of times it's just parents uh being thankful that their kids will shut up for two hours and they'll, they'll i think they'll put up with a lot of stuff when it comes to that 
Uh, I'm not going to go down that line because I think we will talk about animation when we when we get to Toy Story 2 uh, and South Park. So (laughs) there's one for the kids right there. South Park for sure. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't want to make it sound like this is uh, this was terrible by any means because I I could tap into having some fond memories uh, of this film. But I I am a little bit fascinated to see if I could if I knew someone, you know, <laughs> that was a teenager now that I could just somehow force them to watch a DVD and put this in front of them. I would be interested in what their their opinion of it is. And I guess that's one of the questions I had coming in this is do you think this type of film which among my peers in high school was like a favorite mm-hmm. and became a somewhat small cult classic within that, you know, that 2-year period. Um, do you think this is one that will age like a lot of like eighties comedies did for a generation before, or is it just for the people that were teens back in the late nineties? This is an extremely morbid thought, uh, and tragic good. thought, uh, but it's a good transition cause we should talk. We haven't talked nearly about, um, we haven't talked nearly enough about the most memorable element of, of this movie. I think that because of Heath Ledger's, you know, untimely death, that this movie will be watched and looked upon fondly, uh, you know, because of the strength of, of that one element. I didn't realize just how meteoric his rise to fame was, that basically right before this, the only thing he had been in was an Australian uh, TV show uh, of some kind, and that he basically landed this part and was a name, um, you know, ever since that point. Uh, and so... I think that one element will definitely keep 10 Things I Hate About You in the conversation to some degree. Why are you doing this? I told you, you may have a concussion. You don't care if I never wake up. Sure I do. Why? Well then, because then I'd have to start taking out girls who actually like me. Like you could find one. Oh, see that, there. Who needs affection when I have blind hatred? I just, uh, (laughs) let me sit down for a while. All right, yeah. Jeez. Well, you've chosen the perfect revenge, mainlining tequila. <laughs> well, you know what they say. Nope, what do they say? No, 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 no. Cat, come on, wake up, look at me. Listen to me, Cat, open your eyes. <sighs> hey, your eyes have a little green in them. That is a little bit morbid. Um, <laughs> I don't. I mean, I, I. But on the other hand, it's it's good. He is the best thing about it, though, right? So I, I mean, agree. It's yeah. it's a valid reason. It's not just you know. I, I don't know if people feel strongly about say like uh, a Knight's Tale, although I think it has developed somewhat of a sort of a cult fandom online. But so I'll, something like Four Feathers, which I've not seen, but I don't know if there's a huge fan base for. Um, or the order. Some of the other stuff he did after this, probably not. But yeah, this one, it, it's pleasant. Um, it is nice. It, it's something that what I like about his performance is I don't ever feel like he's punching down. You know, he, he's playing the cool guy here. But I had forgotten how quickly um, he will drop that persona, uh, which is pretty much just everyone else projecting their ideas on on this strange foreigner with the funny accent uh, to this Washington high school, like because he he has the moment with Joseph Gordon Levitt where he he gives him like a pep talk 
while while he's also trying to deal with an intoxicated Julia Stiles who he does not take advantage of, uh, I really like the way this character is either written or just the way he decided to to play it. That uh, he's the one in a high school setting that doesn't really seem to care that much about how he's perceived or keeping up the appearances of being the the cool guy, and that's that is a little bit different from these these type of scenarios. Like I, we mentioned, you know, she's all that. Uh, Freddie Prince Jr. His character, I think, always wants to be like a cool guy, or he always wants to be like, you know, I am the nicest guy on campus. I am. This is who I am. Even though it's a story about him attempting to stretch, he really never changes that much. And I, I feel like you you get that here with with this character. I I really like how how he interprets it. And it was interesting to read the, the a little bit of the backstory where he I guess he was the last one to start filming on this set. And even the other actors didn't really know who he was or if he was going to change the dynamic. Uh, and it, it ended up becoming, I guess, just a true ensemble. Like a lot of the actors really liked each other, enjoyed working with each other. And I think that does come across. It does feel like a fun sort of summer camp movie. Like these people just like put on a production and had a great time with it. And sometimes those movies are really bad and sometimes it's infectious. And I, I think that that feeling does come across. But I'm, I'm not going to credit uh, Gil, the director here, as much as uh, I think you were about to. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, you're, 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 well, okay. So getting back to Heath Ledger, um, let me go in on Gil. He could we'll just, have, we'll he that. could have easily come in and overemphasize the, um, the bad qualities of this character in the first act. And there could have been some easy moments for comedy, uh, you know, by doing that. But instead, he kind of toes the line and creates a believable uh, person who, you know, I- who is acting this w- in this way to kind of shield people away, uh, kind of intentionally, not in some sort of ultra-sensitive, um, the world hurt me uh, kind of way, just in that this is the person he's decided to be and he doesn't see any real reason, um, you know, to change. Uh, and I find that, well, I find I that think, interesting. Well, I think, you know, uh, I, I don't know your your history, but I there were a couple times where I I changed schools in my youth, and it was it there was a little bit of fun to just letting people sort of build up, you know, this idea of who you were before before you you know start to reveal yourself a little bit. And I I get that from his character that he's he just finds it kind of amusing, and that's that's it. Like that's really you know he's not attempting to 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 get across that he's some sort of brooding uh you know lethal weapon, some sort of bad guy, and. I, I think it's it's fun. The, you know, the only one that I really have issue with uh, here is maybe the Bianca character, uh, and it's not really the performance so much. It's just uh, you know she's the one that has to also shift gears, much like Heath Ledger's characters. And I, I think that one's a little bit more awkward. Uh, her transition because it's it happens in a similar time frame at this party where uh, all it takes is basically talking to her crush for like two minutes and she she's over it like i said it's a little bit underwritten but what we had seen of her before she seemed to really emphasize her station in the high school like a, a lot of people do and in particular in teen comedies uh and i felt like that was it's strangely thrown away quickly from this character who's really built up this idea of like who she is going to be going into high school and that's that is just tossed aside and i i don't know if i'm it is the performance or if it's the screenplay where I just, I didn't find that totally believable. And 
it, I don't know. She didn't really earn too much enthusiasm for me watching it where I was like, oh, this is a good change moment. I just was a bit confused. I think we lose sense of what Bianca wants, definitely. Um, and I mean, I guess probably a short, um, you know, mark on the screenplay itself. And, and with, in comparison to the other, you know, three main characters, we, you know, we definitely get a sense of what Joseph Gordon-Levitt is after. We definitely get a sense of what Patrick and Kat are after. Um, but yeah, you're right with Bianca. It's like, it seems to change really quickly. But at the same time, I think because it's a high school movie, because it's a movie about teenagers, I think you can believe, you know, that that can happen. We have another movie coming up called Go that, that is, you know, very similarly about that time in your twenties where, you know, things can change so suddenly you don't really know who you are and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, yeah, it's a short (laughs) mark on the screenplay, but because it's a movie about teenagers, it kind of works. Um, and look at the look at the conversations we're having um, about this movie in comparison to to she's all that um, where, where you know where we were just completely I mean you're you're saying Freddie Prince Jr.'s character um, was concerned with like popularity or whatever um, I never got a sense in that movie what that character wanted um, it, I never got a sense why he took the bet. To you know, to begin with, uh, I definitely get a sense of what the main characters are invested in um, here, especially especially Larry Miller. Uh, you know, this is a you know, this, is a, this may be the best performance of his career, uh, and and I'm not I'm not even joking. I think I think it's great the work that he puts in here. Um, you know, that that does set the plot into motion in a way that you know a dad taking their kid to see this could really identify with. Well, he's he's got a lot of. I don't know if you would call it exposition, but he, he sets up everything pretty quickly and he has to do it in a humorous way. And I think the Shakespeare, the Shakespeare play is like that too, <laughs> to be fair. Now I, I have to admit, I mean, I definitely did not do any research on, on Shakespeare. So I, I was not going to comment on that. Uh, but most certainly I did absolutely zero research on the filmography of Larry Miller. So I'm totally unprepared <laughs> to discuss, you know, if this is better than his performance in the nutty professor or, uh, his voice work in the ant bully. And I'm just scrolling through IMDb here, but um, let me, this is something that we have talked about before, which is these sort of moderate hits. And this was, I think just a moderate success at the time. And it sort of grew its audience through, through video. Um, But the director here, man, he, he got trapped in this, this, this one sort of minor success. And that's pretty much what he spent, you know, his, uh, professional career since then doing um, not only filming like a ABC family version of this 12 episodes of uh, this film, but doing something called 10 things I hate about life in 2014, which has the very charming IMDb description of two teens unexpectedly fall in love just before they are about to kill themselves. And <laughs> that, that is really depressing. Yeah, I mean, you, you, I don't want this to be a morbid episode. We already talked about Heath Ledger's passing, but uh, poor Gil here. Um, yeah, kind of got stuck with the Ten Things franchise, which I didn't even know was still going. I mean, I mean. So all I'm gonna say is, and I know I've already praised the direction in certain scenes of this movie, and I stand by that. Um, all I, all I want to say is that you don't always have to discuss things through the prism of you know uh, of the director and, and of them being you know. You know, I'm just going to say it already because you know you know where I'm heading. You don't have to just talk about it through the prism of the auteur theory and all that. It's you know not. It's a very limiting thing. 
because yeah, not all directors end up having terrific careers. And I, and you know, we, we talked about this with cruel intentions, same thing. He, he basically got trapped into doing, you know, cruel intention sequels and the pilot for the cruel intentions TV series and everything. And that's really unfortunate and it sucks. Um, well, here's my question to you. I mean, it does suck because obviously in both films, I, I think that they got, you know, Cruel Intentions was, I think, a somewhat bigger success uh, at the time. Uh, both films, I think, got a lot out of the these young actors and these ensembles and hit the beats they need to hit. And it's strange to me that working with uh, young actors, that that's some sort of uh, demerit, that's some sort of marking on them that that's where they have to say that they could not work with older actors here. And uh, is, is there a filmmaker that, that comes to mind that has, that broke out of that, that maybe started with teen comedies that went on to do films about adult relationships? Cameron Crowe was the one that comes to mind when I first think of you think when you first said that. <laughs> yeah. And he, well, that that's actually really some, good. Some would it, say it doesn't work uh, anymore because they hate his movies now <laughs> hey, and, hey, uh, you know, not, really though. mean people. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, that, um, he, but he thinking back, he, he worked slowly, didn't he? As far as he, from say anything to singles, he actually was going, he was sort of aging up with the characters. Well, he also uh, wrote, um, fast times at Ridgemont high. So I was including that in, 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 you know, Okay, so he didn't. He didn't. You know, he worked really slow. So his eighties were <laughs> to high school students. He's done a lot <laughs> no. more in his life than I think either of us are going to do. So I mean, <laughs> I, th- I think we got an aloha in this bin. I'm still holding out. We're we're going to have that. That uh, we're gonna we're gonna get that opus uh, the way it was meant to be seen. Uh, no, I, I was not trying to uh, to be mean here, but it was just interesting because, as I said, thinking back and knowing that this was part of like the 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 film lingo for that for for teenagers which is the target demo uh it's somebody that yeah obviously i don't i don't think of the auteur theory and think like oh i I wonder what the guy from 10 things i hate about you went on to do at the time and it's only doing this podcast i look at it uh and it it is strange because this is this is a crowd-pleasing film uh you would think you would go on to do at the very least uh studio comedies uh and continue to do that so it is this is just uh depressing this show, this podcast is depressing. The longer I, we do I don't it. think it's dep- I don't think it's depressing because I do think this is an enjoyable film. I am much higher on it than you are, and and I and, and yeah, there are points in it that I that don't work. Um, but by by and large, it's these little character moments that the cast create with each other, and maybe the maybe the director had a hand in that, maybe he didn't. Um, those things work. Uh, you know, we've talked about how Bianca changes her mind. So suddenly in some of those scenes, like at the party, but what really, but really does work in those scenes are, is, is the reaction that Joseph Gordon-Levitt has to it. I definitely believed his disappointment, uh, you know, and his, his wanting, um, you know, being rejected uh, by this girl in this way. Um, you, know, you know, what's so, cool about that moment? Yeah, what? Is he doesn't, they don't, not only is he, but the film does not play that up for more hijinks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When he gets upset, he—I mean—he doesn't verbalize it, but she can tell he's upset. And there's like an immediate resolution there. He does not—you know—she's not oblivious to his feelings, uh, and he, like probably most teenagers uh, who are—you know—he's crushed at that moment—is uh, not good at hiding them. I, I like that that was quickly resolved there. That they both understood, you know, what the other one wanted. Um, 
And that that is strange. It, it's a strange mix because they they attempt to do things mostly with secondary characters. Uh, that is what you would expect from a teen comedy. But the principal um, storylines and the actors here do remain untouched in a way. So I think what they attempt to, what they should get right, the main beats they do, it's just all the extraneous stuff, which is weird for mm-hmm. a movie that's just over 90 minutes. That there's so much that you're like, oh, they could take that, take that out. Um, but I, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head saying that it's just a lack of confidence that this would, would actually work. They probably um, didn't think they would get a great cast. Like, in all honesty, like, I mean, if you look at the people here, I don't even know what Julia Stiles was in before this, but I imagine she was in something. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I believe this is around the same time as Third Rock from the Sun, so not like a, you know, big star or anything. Um, you know what I mean? So there, there was probably a real lack of confidence that that this would play for a teenage audience, much even more so than than Cruel Intentions, which I think had a lot of confidence in what it was doing. Um, you know, they, they, I can literally, you, you, you can feel the studio saying, you know what, this is a little bit too intelligent. This is aiming a little bit too above the heads of its target demo. Um, you know, we've got to put in these, you know, silly moments that don't work at all, uh, today. Um, and, and it's funny because they bring down, um, they bring down what could, could, could be, um, a really like, like classic teen comedy, um, but I, I still, I would, I would maintain this is still just fine. This is perfectly fine. That's, I mean, that's, <laughs> you're not going to get that on another movie podcast. Uh, this is perfectly fine. Well, and everything's yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> not every, not every movie has to, has to reinvent the wheel. Like sometimes you just have to put on something just to, you know, just to be entertained and feel good, uh, you know, about the world and all that. So that's, that's but why the 10 things I hate a- about you, uh, use exist. It does have a legacy. They, you know, I I don't own it, but I was reading uh, just in the the IMDb trivia that there is apparently a 10th anniversary uh, DVD with like a cast commentary, and they came back and told stories. So there there is a fan base here, um, and that you know the title has certainly still has some merit because they're still trying to come up with ways to to continue this property in some form or fashion. Um, but yeah, th- this one this was mostly enjoyable. Uh, I, I think that I probably would enjoy it more if I had not seen it or listened to it so many times in my youth, uh, that it was not entirely fresh for me. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know what, what I've discovered is that if there's, I need to look on the schedule. If there's a teen comedy coming up or a teen drama, then I need to, uh, I need to do my research because you're going to be all over it. (laughs) I don't think we have one for coming up for quite a while because I was wondering about that. And this does sort of complete our trilogy of you know the classic literature uh in 1999 being updated for for like a teen audience uh with between you know between cruel intentions and she's all that and this um and and i think on a final note uh i i want to give credit to to uh, a favorite character actor of mine uh david krumholtz who you'll remember played the stereotypically uh jewish kid in adam's family values and uh, unfortunately, uh, has to have one uh, action sequence, one chase sequence with himself here. Oh yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you just um, had to bring that up. You couldn't let. Yeah, but you couldn't I was about let David Crumbles nice. have his moment. <laughs> I was about to say something nice, uh, and now I won't. <laughs> oh no! Say it. Say it. Go ahead. He, need, he needs this. <laughs> I think, like Larry Miller, he also has to do a lot of the heavy lifting, uh, setting up the story and getting us used to this very this Shakespearean plot. Uh, which 
can see uh, at least initially uh, a little too confusing a little a little uh, like a little too much work uh but he does it with grace um he's very charming and i think he's got uh, chemistry with joseph gordon levitt so any anytime he's talking and not having to um ride a bike down a hill um he's good it's very good here so uh and it, it's not i mean it could have been a very thankless part but i think i think he sells it he sells the movie so uh yeah there was my my one nice thing about ten things I about you. I think I got a few, but not as much as Ben's like. What what are we doing next, Ben? I was about to say when you mentioned that our trilogy is over of <laughs> teen updates, great literature. That was the sound of listeners uh, saying "Thank God" if they're still with us at this point. So, uh, no, not the floor. not the cruel intention fans. They've been following us for a while, I think. <laughs> yeah, because we've posted at this point all over their forums and <laughs> their their message boards. Uh, I'm looking at it. We are uh, jumping to another uh, internet favorite, uh, Christopher Nolan, and his first feature, I believe, following. So, yeah, um, not quite as uh, happy. It, I'm from. I've seen this film before, and I do not think that it ends with a helicopter shot of a uh, teen pop band uh, singing. But it could. So. But it could have. <laughs> and it yeah, you know, it may have been better for it. I don't know. If um, only Christopher yeah. Nolan was as bright as Gil uh younger Junger here. <laughs> uh yeah, I think I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I enjoy I enjoy that performance that happens over the end credits. I think I think that's a interesting way to, to end uh teen comedy like this. You know. Uh the only thing I didn't like was that we switched bands. But then they're there at the prom, the same band that she likes, because uh, like it's played as a surprise by Heath Ledger that he like called in a favor. Um, I, I thought that was unnecessarily confusing, and I would have liked you know them doing like the the Goodwill Hunting Elliot Smith thing. Just have the same band throughout. Just have them their songs throughout because there's already like three of them. So let's just have them the whole time. I think that would have been better. I didn't even realize it was a different band. I just saw, I saw, you know, a woman singing on a microphone with <laughs> blonde hair or whatever. I thought, Oh, that must be the same people. So. Ben, you, uh, you're so disappointing. You were, you were supposed <laughs> to be the 10 things I about you expert. And here I was analyzing it. Like that's the Bruder film. <laughs> <laughs> did you, did you go for, did you watch that end credit performance frame by frame? And you were like back into the left, back into the left. <laughs> I, it is already embarrassing enough that I, admit that I watched the whole thing until the actual credits come up and it goes black. I'm like watching to see how many times the helicopter twirls around them. Um, but yeah, that uh, I was not looking forward to listening to that song again. So That was a uh, big 90s convention was to end the movie with like a big helicopter shot and everything. And they don't do that anymore. Like I, and I, don't, I don't even understand what they do in place of it. Um, it's like they just don't even care anymore. It's like, oh, well, we got your money. We don't need to give you a cool <laughs> shot at the end. No. Sorry. <laughs> They're going to spin that on uh, you know, whatever the next IP is. Uh, yeah. some, some comic book that Robert Kirkman shits out. That's, that's what they're spinning that half million dollar shot on. And if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at 99from99.
actually I'm looking up now. We actually did that's like 33 minutes. We I know. Just talking Me about too. That. I can't believe that's that. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I mainly just tried to throw things out and see if you would see if you would take the bait or swat them away and then move on to the next. Shuffle my cards. All right. <laughs> Make fun of Gil here. You really bait me? <laughs> there are certain triggers, I'm I think. Shocked. I'm like, yeah, the outdoor like, thing. Yeah, I'm like, all right, this will, you know, Ben will go off here for five minutes so I can, I can take a breather. Next, him... <laughs> next time I'm just going to go, you know what? You're right. Gil Younger is not an auteur. <laughs> Fuck you, Gil Younger, you cheap non-autorist piece of shit. 